Powerful truths can carry you through perilous times. Example one, Viktor Frankl uh, was a psychiatrist. Uh, he's passed away, but he uh, was, was a Jewish man who lived through the horrors of um, the Nazi Holocaust and the concentration camps. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, uh, wherein he recalls some of these horrific experiences, and he saw things that no child should ever have to see. And one of the things that he, he recalls is uh, seeing a line of men walk into a building which was a gas chamber. And not only did he remember seeing that, he remembered what they were reciting together as they walked into the gas chamber. They were reciting something called the Shema, which is the central Jewish creed. It's found in Deuteronomy 6, and it's familiar to us because it's part of what Jesus cites as the great command. So as they're walking, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Powerful truths can carry you through perilous times. Example two, Francis Chan had dinner with someone, a man who had been a prisoner of the Taliban. And so they had been captured, he with 26 other men, and so there was 27 of them in total. And um, he said, you know, they were all together one night, and this is when they were captured. And they knew that they would be separated. They didn't know what would happen to one another. And so one of them had a Bible, and so they all either committed or recommitted themselves to God. And the one who had the Bible ripped out pages of the Bible, not as an act of disrespect, and in fact, the very opposite, and gave it out so every single person there could at least have one little page of Scripture that they could read and encourage themselves with for whatever they would face, and they didn't know what they would face. Powerful truths can carry you through perilous times. Example three. On September 11, 2001, terrorists flew planes into the World Trade Center in New York City. And of course, also there was other acts of violence and terror that day. One was a plane that was hijacked, headed towards the Pentagon, Pentagon in Washington, and a story is told which made its way from the plane. And before it went down, of course, there's many stories from that, and um, uh, you know, some people trying to overtake the hijackers who had taken the plane, and there was that going on. But one of the other stories that were received from that plane was that as it was going down, as it was happening, people started to recite the Lord's Prayer together. Just think of that for a moment. You know your country's under attack. You, you know that the terrorist is taking over the plane. You know that you're about to die. You think that you're thinking of your loved ones. Uh, you're thinking about so many things in your head. You're thinking about probably the pain that you are personally about to experience. And voices all of a sudden start to unite. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Powerful truths can carry you through perilous times. And so we've started a series on the most famous psalms. And today is the most famous of the most famous psalms, which is Psalm uh, 23. It contains some of the most beloved truths, some of the most powerful and enduring and comforting truths. Uh, we have probably all been at the funerals of loved ones, and Psalm 23 has been used. Uh, its verses or images have been tattooed on bodies. It's underlined in scriptures. Many of us have memorized it uh, from a time when we were young. So this is a powerful, enduring psalm. And so our question today is, what does this psalm actually teach, and how can we use these truths, how can we use these truths to carry us 
through whatever perilous times that we happen to be facing. And so we're going to open our scriptures to Psalm 23. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it. Maybe you've got the Westminster Church app, and we'll put the words up there on the screen as well. And so I'm reading from the ESV. So one of the things we need to note right off the top is that this is, it says, a psalm of David. So the phrase of David in, in Hebrew is kind of ambiguous. It could mean a psalm in the pattern of David or in the manner of a psalm of David. But it's most likely, or it could also mean authorship. And in this case, it's most likely referring to authorship, the fact that David wrote it. And one of the reasons I and others think this is because he was a shepherd. And so 1 Samuel tells us about this, and probably the most famous story about David, right, when he's young and he goes to slay the dreaded Philistine Goliath, right? Recall that there's King Saul and there are these adult soldiers, and some of them are David's own brothers. And, uh, you know, Goliath is scaring and terrifying everybody. And so David comes up and he makes his case to King Saul. He wants to be the one who will go out and fight Goliath, even though many of the adults won't do it, right? And so he makes the case by saying that he is a shepherd, so many times when he's had to fight, you know, lions and bears and protect the sheep. And so here, after he matures, right, after he gets older, and obviously he's got some musical ability, this is a psalm, he is drawing from his own personal life experience and casting an image about God as shepherd and we as sheep that helps us through time. So he's drawing from his own personal experience. It's very vivid to him, right, because he's lived this. And so we need to know that. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Pause. That's the very famous. And so we need to think of this as the thesis statement for the entire psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so as we go through, we're going to find all the ways that the Lord is, in fact, a providing shepherd. Okay? So it says my, so it's written in the first person. And this is one of the reasons why this is so beloved. It's the first person. So although David is saying my, he's saying it. When we say it or we sing it or we recite it, it feels personal to us because it's in the first person. And we think, oh yeah, I'm saying the Lord is my shepherd and I have all that I need, right? So a couple of things. It also says um, that the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I know some farmers. I don't know any active shepherds. Um, we, we, we probably should pause and think about what the role of a shepherd is. Uh, this was a highly agrarian society. A lot of people were shepherds, fishermen, people who worked in the market, uh, various things like that. There's, there's fewer active shepherds here in this part of the world today, so we should kind of reflect a little bit on what a shepherd does. The shepherd provides access to grass and water, protects from wild animals, right? Uh, keeps the flock together, right? So brings back strays, um, leads out in the morning, and brings in at night, ideally to some sort of fold, pen, or area of protection. So those are kind of the high-level job, of, that's the high-level job of a shepherd. So we also need to know that if he's the shepherd, we are the sheep. So let's just follow through on that, okay? He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. And so sheep, we need to know, are very humble creatures. Also, they are prey, not predators. And that's a good reminder to all of us. They are prey, not predators. Right? Think of those you know, skinny little legs, you know, the, the top heavy and everything else. I was speaking with someone recently who actually spent some time as, as an active shepherd and reminded me a couple things about sheep. I alluded to them early, earlier. Think, first of all, is they, they seem virtually mindless. <laughs> um, this person used a different word, but uh, virtually mindless, right? Not only that, but they have a real penchant for wandering off. It's like there's a hole in the, in the wall, and one of them goes through, and like, tick, 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 like they all follow through, you know, like the minions in the minion movie. They're like, ah, they all go through. And the third is they're very unaware of the real presence of danger, right? 
Okay, so they seem virtually mindless. They are, you know, they, they wander off very easily. They're easily led astray, and they're very, not very close to uh, being aware of danger. So that third part, so the second part of that first verse is, I shall not want. Okay, so that's one of those phrases, what, what does it mean? So what I'd like to do is I'm going to put up a couple um, graphics here. So again, this is some of the, the Bible study tools that I have, and it's, it's a bit small. It's going to go over two screens. So at uh, the top, this is the Hebrew, and Hebrew goes from right to left, not left to right, which is interesting. So the ESV translation, which is what we're reading, it says, I shall not want. Uh, the CSB translation, there is nothing I lack. So these are translation scholars and teams trying to figure out how to render it into English today. Next slide. And then the NET translation says, I lack nothing. The NLT says, I have all that I need. So the idea, you get the idea. So these are people trying to get this into English. The idea is because he is this good shepherd, he is my good shepherd, he's going to provide fundamentally for my needs. Next verse, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures, which is about rest and provision. He leads me beside still waters, or in the King James, quiet waters. And that's we need water to live, right? So he sustains us. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Now, this is just such a comforting thing. I think this is one of the reasons why this psalm is so memorable to us. Um, for the weary, for the worn out, for the worried, right? He, he restores our, our soul. And, and we can think of times when we, we've been worried and we've been staying up all night, but something happens, a new perspective or, or some solution seems to it present itself, and we feel restored, Thank God, our good shepherd. Or maybe we're going through something else where uh, we're weary and we're exhausted and we don't know how we're going to push through. We don't have the energy, but, but something happens where we do get rest or something comes along or a person to help us and we feel that refreshment, that restoring of our souls. Thank you, God. And we see behind that the provision of God himself. But also in this line, he restores my soul um, in the Hebrew, there's the sense of, of, of not only restoring your soul in, in those ways, but also like bringing back from the point of death or from illness. So he actually does like have this rescuing function in our lives as well. Then, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we are led in these paths of righteousness. We met that last week, right, with uh, Psalm 1, the path of righteousness, the way that is right before God and others for his name's sake. So this isn't just for us. It's for the, the glory and reputation of God that we are led in these ways. Now, one of the things I think we need to see here is that <clears throat> he leads, we follow. So we aren't able to, we're actually not able to walk those paths of righteousness on our own. Like we make mistakes, we mess up all the time. He leads, we follow. The only reason it's possible is because he's leading and we are following. And we're listening for his voice. And so we can sometimes think, well, I, it's hard to know what that is. I, I'm not a scholar, right? Neil Anderson and Timothy Warner point out that it's not a matter of how much education you have. Uh, it's a matter of spending lots of time with him. So the more you spend time with your shepherd, reading the scriptures, praying, doing the things that he wants you to do, worshiping, the easier it is to identify his voice and what he is, is wanting of you to lead you forward. So I think that's important. Uh, Donald McCullough, before he started his doctoral work in uh, the University of Edinburgh, he went over there a few weeks early, and he recounts a story about faith and following, and following a voice that I think is helpful, so I want to share it for you here. And so he went a few weeks early, and he goes to this concert at Usher Hall. He'd already set himself up in the, in the residences of Edinburgh University, 
And he goes to this concert, and he didn't know the city very well because he's kind of new, right? He's just learning his way. But he thought he knew it pretty well. But after he comes out of the concert, it's nighttime, so it's dark, and it's raining really heavily. And so he's not recognizing things as much as he would like. And so he thinks, oh, I can probably make it back up to the residence buildings. And so he starts off one street, turns left, goes another street. He's trying to find his way. But after a while, he realizes, wait a second, I just have, a, have to have a piece of humble pie here. I, I don't really know where I'm going. And so he finds this stranger, and he asks him where, you know, where the university residences are. And the person says, oh, yeah, I know. And he starts giving him a series of directions. You go down this street, you turn left, you go that street, you go right. And he could see the, you know, the, the face of total bafflement uh, on Donald McCullough. And so he says, oh, follow me. And this is what McCullough describes happened next. In the moments that followed, I had perhaps the purest form of faith I have ever experienced. I entrusted myself totally to this man's guidance. I dedicated not a fleeting second of thought to my watery appearance, my fearful panting, my confused speech, or my trust in this stranger. My attention was devoted exclusively to this Savior, to what he was saying, to where he was going. So I just relate that because I think, I think that's helpful for us because we often think we know the way when we don't, but really, more often than not, we're like daft sheep. Uh, and we need leading on the, on the way of the righteous. And uh, that's so much more important than just leading on a path back to the residences at Edinburgh University. But Christ leads us forward. So we have to see that it's his leading there, uh, not our own. Then verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, so here all of a sudden there's a shift, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. A couple of things. It's a valley. This is not a good place. And so we need to acknowledge here that metaphorical language is being used for the hardships and the dangers and difficulties of life. Think of an actual valley that you're in. You can't go sideways. Your options are limited. Maybe there's hills or cliffs their way. So you can only go forward. You can only go back. And it's dark. Oh, by the way, there's something blurry up there. Is, is that a tree? Is that a person? Is it a predator? Am, am I going to get hurt? And so it's this place where you feel vulnerable and uncertain. And insecure, and that's, what the, that's the, the imagery that is being uh, drawn upon here. And we also can't help but notice that the life of faith includes danger, darkness, and difficulty. And it needs to be said because how many times do we, you know, we fall victim to this thinking that, oh, because I have a good shepherd, because I'm being faithful to God, everything's always going to come up roses in my life. Why do we think this? This is something we all fall victim to time and time again. It's like, where is that in the Bible? Because this psalm, so many places talk about the difficulties we will experience. God will lead us through it, but it is a part of life. I will fear no evil, it says, for you are with me. Now, it's interesting, when you study Psalm 23, sometimes psalms are structured in such a way that uh, the structure itself is to teach us something about the meaning. So verse 1 is the thesis statement, and the exact midpoint of the psalm is this, these words, for you are with me. That is part of the reason why this is so powerful. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The powerful presence of God is always greater than the powerful presence of fear. The powerful presence of God is greater than the powerful presence of fear, right? And so think about yourself. You're on a, on a playground, and there's a bully 
and, you, and you're afraid of that bully, but then your best friend comes along, and your best friend is bigger, and your best friend can bench 250 pounds. Hello! And all of a sudden, that bully doesn't seem so scary anymore. We say, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod and the staff are critical uh, tools for shepherds uh, in the first century. The rod, is, uh, the, the rod is like a club which beats off other animals, predators. The staff has got the, you know, the, the hook on the top. That's for walking stability. But it's also to like, bring the sheep back, back into the fold or, or guide them forward on the path of righteousness. So the rod and the staff are symbols of protection and provision and guidance. And, th- and these symbols are still powerfully with us today. Right When you look at you know, the coronation of, of King Charles yesterday, he's given tools, that, symbols of office. So ingrained is the shepherd motif for leadership that people still have these maces and these staffs which symbolize leadership about protection and about provision and care. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So a table or a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. Again, notice there's still danger. You're in the presence of enemies. Doesn't mean that the enemies aren't going to be there, but God will bless you even though your enemies are around you. Perhaps these are political enemies. Perhaps these are personal enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Now, we don't really anoint our heads with oil at feasts anymore. This is an ancient practice, but the meaning is this. Uh, Oil was uh, poured over the head of someone to show that they were the honored guest. And so it shows them how special they are. The sheep, the lowly sheep, is treated as the honored guest. And the cup overflows. So this is surely a reference to the the feasting cup of wine. Is our cup, as God's people, half full or half empty? Neither. It's overflowing. My cup overflows. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Okay. Um, this is a great line, and at this point, I can't help but tell the story shared by Max Lucado. I came across this a while ago, so there's a little boy named Timmy, and Timmy really wants to walk to school by himself. He's in grade one, and you know, you come to that point where you think, oh, I, I could do it on my own, and uh, his mother's not so sure that he can walk to school on his own, uh, but Timmy says, well, I walk with my friend, and so, well, there's two of them, and she's not sure what to do because she wants to respect his, his gusto, his sense of independence, but she knows he's probably still a bit young to walk to school by himself, and so she figures out a perfect solution. A couple houses down, there's a neighbor, and the neighbor walks her toddler every morning anyway, and so she's going to pay them, just keep back a bit and just watch to make sure Timmy and his friend get to school okay. And, uh, but don't tell them. We don't want them to know. We want them to think that they're independent. But just follow that way. It'll kind of satisfy her own sense of safety. And so that was the arrangement. And she told Timmy and her friend, yeah, you can walk to school on your own. That's great. And they felt good. They felt like big boys. But after a couple of weeks, they start to, to realize something was off. And, and, and the friend says to Timmy, like, have you noticed that someone's following us? And uh, he's like, yeah, I have. He's like, who do you think it is? And Timmy says, well, I know who it is. And... Uh, He's like, really? Who it is? Well, it's, it's Shirley Goodness and her daughter, Marcy. <laughs> and um, what are you talking about? He says, well, my mom reads the Psalm, Psalm 23 every morning. and says, Shirley Goodness and Marcy will follow me all the days of my life. <laughs> and so we just got to get used to it. And so, you know, it's a cute story. But it, <laughs> but, it actually does, but it actually does remind us of an eternal truth that the goodness and mercy of God pursue us. And, and the, intentional, the contrast is intentional here because we've just been told about the presence of enemies. 
And you think of enemies pursuing you, enemies chasing you down. No, no, no. Enemies aren't going to pursue you, not in the long run. One day you will look back on your life and you will see how the goodness and mercy of God have been pursuing you, following you, all the days of your life. Okay? Now, a couple of things. The word goodness there, that's the, 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 the word tov. We hear yom tov in greetings, good day. Uh, mercy, this is this word chesed. So this is this word, it appears over 200 times in the Old Testament. This is the mercy of God, the, the, the faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of God, which is following us all the days of our lives. It's pursuing us, right? And related to the shepherd, this makes total sense. God the good shepherd is pursuing his sheep. He's pursuing them with goodness and mercy. Jesus himself picks up on this beautiful metaphor and applies it in a parable in Luke 15, starting at verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So goodness and mercy pursuing the lost. And the final line says, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So on one level, this is a reference most likely to the temple, perhaps, uh, or, a, or a tabernacle. Maybe this is a place of, of worship and of thanksgiving, of praise and peace in the presence of God. But also, on a larger sense, it's also really kind of the, the ultimate throne room, dwelling place of God, a reference to you know, heaven where we are with him. And so we also experience worship and peace and joy and, uh, and all those things in the very presence of God, and we do it forever. And so just as we started with verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The psalm has really shown us all the way this has proved to be true. It has delivered us through to the house of the Lord forever at the very end, even through the valley of the shadow of death. And so we end our close look at the text there. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to apply this to our lives. Let's bear down in two ways that we do this. The first of all, the first thing we need to acknowledge and realize is that the good shepherd is Jesus, ultimately Jesus. Because as he says himself in John 10, uh, verse 11, he identifies with this and says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so this helps us to think of the shepherd's leading voice in a more powerful and proactive way. This is specifically the voice of Christ. And so as he goes on and explains this in John 10, like a bad shepherd is someone who doesn't really care if they're a hired hand. They don't care if danger, danger comes, they're going to flee. But the good shepherd is so invested in, in the care of the sheep that he's going to be there so much so that he's going to lay down his life for those very sheep. So just as a physical shepherd is going to seek to keep them safe and give them peace, so our ultimate good shepherd, Jesus, dies in our place on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we might have ultimate peace with God. So he demonstrates himself to be the good shepherd, and as we seek to be led through the valley of the shadow of death, we are listening for his voice, not the voice of a stranger. Okay? The second thing I want us to zero in on is this. It's a single word. It's the word through. And I didn't really focus on this word as we went through the psalm because I wanted to talk about it at the end. But what we need to notice in verse 4 is that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't stop there. And this is a very subtle but powerful reminder that as we follow the good shepherd... 
When we get in those moments, and we do get in those moments, and you've been in some sort of valley, some sort of difficulty, some sort of horrific situation, and we've all been there, or you will be there. When you're in that moment, you think, this is it. This is all my life is going to be like. This is, this is what I have to endure. And you just think that is the sum total of everything. But that's not what the text says. It's about a leading through to the other side. There is a green pasture. There is goodness. There is resolution. There is peace. You can't always see it when you are in the valley of the shadow of death. But that doesn't mean it isn't there. Sometimes the valley lasts for a short time, sometimes a couple months, sometimes years. It's hard to know, and people have different experiences. But in the grand picture, it is always temporary. And so the Lord is leading us through. Darkness has a certain swagger, but it never triumphs for God's people. And we need to remember that. Trials are always temporary. And so what we've done is we've actually put together a whole bunch of stickers. Maybe some of you saw them when they came in. I had this idea this week and uh, got in touch with Kristen, and she designed this beautiful sticker. It looks like that circle you see on the screen. It's a dark valley. That's the valley of the shadow of death, metaphorically speaking. It says Psalm 23 in the bottom, and it has a single word on it. It says, through. And what I just invite and encourage all of you to do is grab one of these stickers. I'll take some to the back, and they'll be here as well. So please grab one. There's enough for everybody, including young people, and maybe someone from your household isn't here. You can grab one for them as well. Take it and put it up somewhere, because when we are in the valley, this is the reminder that we need. Oh, wait a second. This is actually temporary. In the big picture, this isn't going to last. Why? Because we don't stop in the valley. Our good shepherd leads us through to the other side. And so we need the reminder. And when we're in that moment, we just, our perspective crumbles. And so maybe you're going to put it in a Bible or a dashboard or on a mirror or whatever it happens to be. And you, and you just need the reminder. And so when I hold my hands like this, I invite you to say the word through, okay? Maybe you're going through a family crisis. And it's hard and it's difficult and it's in your house or it's in your soul. And that's what makes it so difficult. And so in the big picture, you're going to see this. You're going to be reminded that it's temporary and that we don't stop in the valley and our good shepherd leads us through to the other side. Overwhelming fear about something in your future comes into your life and it, it seems to handcuff you at least existentially and, and you're so debilitated, you, you can't even make plans for the future because you think this is what the fate of my life is going to be and then you see this sticker and it's a reminder and you realize, oh wait a second, we don't stop in the valley because our good shepherd leads us through. Or there's illness. An illness comes into the house or someone you care about or maybe yourself it's hard and you see this sticker and it's a reminder to you of Psalm 23 and you say to yourself no for God's people we don't stop in the valley in the big picture our good shepherd is leading us through to the other side or maybe it's financial crisis or some sort of anxiety something that keeps you up at night you know what it is and you see the sticker and you are reminded Wait a second, we don't stop in the valley. Our good shepherd leads us through to the other side. And there's a beautiful, delightful pasture for God's people. Powerful truths carry you through perilous times. It's a closing thought. Uh, next week, I will lead a graveside service for a very special person. And this person was, was dedicated uh, to their 
family, dedicated to their community, to their church, and to their Lord. And many of you have been at graveside services before, a committal service, and you're there, and it's, it's a very arresting image as you stand there in a cemetery, and there's more tombstones around you than there are people gathered. And there's a hole in the ground, it's very real, and there's a casket. And people will share a memory or two, I'll lead us in a prayer, including the Lord's Prayer, and then the committal, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But that's not the end of the story. Which is why I like to then lead us in unison saying the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies all the way to the house of the Lord. We need that reminder in those moments. And so what I'd like to invite you to do is to say with me Psalm 23, and we're going to go through it, and we're going to use the older King James Version translation that came out in 1611. This is the version that many people would have memorized uh, growing up, and this is the one I like to use in those moments. But as powerful truths can carry you through perilous times, and we need the reminder of through. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, powerful truths carry you through perilous times. Amen.